Well, guys, good morning. We're going to be wrapping up our series, Holy Ghost Stories, today. Now, next week, we start a brand new series called White Noise, and we're hoping that the three weeks that we're spending in Holy Ghost Stories really does prepare us for what we're going to be talking about in White Noise. And in fact, that you and me, we have three enemies that are at war with our soul. They're fighting over our soul. We're going to be talking about those three enemies. And we're going to be depending on the Holy Spirit to get us through those fights with those three enemies. So that's next week um, with White Noise. And we're going to finish up Holy Ghost Stories today. So let's recap the first week, second week, and we're going to be talking about today. So the first week we learned that the Holy Spirit living in us is greater than Jesus with us. And in fact, we get that from Jesus. Jesus is pretty clear. He's like, look, it's better that I go than the Holy Spirit comes because you'll be able to do greater things. And it's not necessarily greater in quality, but greater in quantity. And then last week we learned that the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence bringing dead things to life. And the greatest miracle that any of us can experience is going from spiritual death to spiritual life. That God raises us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is the greatest miracle that we go from being dead to being made alive. He brings dead things to life. Today we're going to look how the Holy Spirit leads us. Like I started the last couple of weeks, I just want to be upfront. I don't know everything about there is to know about God. There's things I don't know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Thankfully, you know, I'm still able to learn as you are. Now, from what I do know comes from uh, over 25 years of following Jesus, being in college and seminary for six, and then also having countless conversations over the last 20 years with people who have been followers of Jesus and, and have experienced the Holy Spirit in certain ways. And then I've also asked God to reveal more of himself through his word and through circumstances. Now notice what Moses, I think for some of us, man, we think Moses is this amazing leader that he didn't have any issues. In fact, he had a lot of issues. He had a lot of issues, but yet God still used him. Notice what Moses writes. He says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. So God has some secrets. There's some things that he's not telling you. There's some things he's not telling me. Why is that? I think it's an act of compassion. I don't think we're ready for some of the things that he would tell us. It's just like being a parent. There's some things I don't tell Brooke because she's not emotionally or uh, mature enough to handle. It's better that she just doesn't know until she's able to develop and grow in her, in her emotions and in her uh, mental capacity and her maturity. So, we're not accountable to those secrets, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us. And why has He revealed some things to us? Why has He given us some information through His Word? Why has He given us this information? So that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. God gives us His Word so that we may have the best life now. You and I have the ability to have our best life now by following Him. By following Him, doing what He wants us and desires us and calls us to do. That is our best life now. It is. Now, here, here's the deal. There's going to be tension. There's some things that you and I won't know about the Holy Spirit. And it's going to, it might bother us a little bit, but we have to live in that tension. 
Okay, so now I want us to imagine being one of the students of Jesus. Now, whether you decide to be Peter or John or James or you decide to be Mary or Joanna, I want you to imagine being one of the students of Jesus. And you're two years into Jesus' public teaching ministry, so he's walking all around Israel to different towns. And then the religious leaders are pretty offended by the things that he's teaching, so they come to you and they ask you things. Why you, Why does your teacher do this? And why does your teacher do that? And then you really don't have an answer. And so Jesus comes to the defense and he explains why he does what he does. And then it gets to a point where it's so much tension that they actually put him on trial. And they crucify him. And you're grieving the loss of your leader, of your friend. You're, you're, you're grieving these expectations that you had about being... And part of his kingdom, and you're grieving, and you're quiet, and the religious leaders think that they sort of solved the problem. They feel like they got rid of the problem. Now it's going to be quiet. But Sunday changed everything. In fact, it gave you boldness. It gave you boldness to share that Jesus is no longer dead. The body of Jesus wasn't stolen. He is alive. He is alive. And you're preaching that. And Peter preaches it. And 3,000 people believe that Jesus is alive. And it causes a disruption. And then a bigger disruption happened. A little bit later when Peter and John are going to the temple. And inside the gate or outside the gate, right around the gate, was this man who has been crippled for 40 years. And he's healed. And it caused this great disruption. And the religious leaders are confused like... How were you and the others who were disciples, how are you bold now when Jesus is no longer here? Like, how is that possible? Where did all the courage come from? So Luke writes about a true ghost story of the religious leaders confronting the disciples. And in this story, we learn why the disciples did not back down. So we're going to be in Acts, so... Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Acts 4, and this is what Luke writes. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest. The captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees, these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So let me sort of explain what's going on. So Peter and John are going against the narrative that Jesus' body was stolen. They're preaching that Jesus, not only did he rise from the dead, but he is alive. He is alive. And if you believe in Jesus, you receive salvation. And so more Jews are becoming disciples. But for the religious leaders, man, if they get caught that they made up this narrative that Jesus' body was stolen, it could be the end of them. It could be the end of them. It means that they killed the Messiah. They killed their king. That's not going to sit well with the people. So they're losing control of the narrative, and they're losing control of people. The next day, the council, the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas and John and Alexander and other relatives of the high priest. You have the same power players. 
that were there at Jesus' trial, and now a month and a half later, in front of Peter and John. And these leaders, man, they have an opportunity to come clean, but instead, man, they dig in, they keep the narrative going, they dig in, and they want to know how Peter and John were able to heal a man crippled from birth. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, so how did he get this boldness? It came from the Holy Spirit. Instead of them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? It wasn't us. Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The same guy that you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, now notice, these Peter and John, they had their formal religious education as kids, and then they were educated by Jesus. And they're spouting off scripture to men who memorized big parts of the Old Testament. The stone that the builders rejected, you builders rejected, has now become the cornerstone. They're like, you guys did this. There's no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter and John are pretty clear. It wasn't us. It was Jesus that healed this crippled man. Now, Think of the boldness that it took because no Jew in their right mind would approach the high priest this way. They would not confront the high priest this way because the high priest was the man who entered the innermost part of the temple to meet with God once a year. It took some boldness to address him this way. So, what should we do with these men they asked each other? We can't deny that they performed the miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, you know, the propaganda of Jesus is alive, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. And so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Did you know that unlike Jesus' trial, they could not come up with a narrative because they had a ex-cripple walking around saying, I was healed. I was I was made better by the name of Jesus. So everybody going in and out of the temple, in and out of the gate, would have saw him there for 40 years. It's impossible to cover up. Their only card to play was to give them a warning not to use the name of Jesus again. Now notice, they go back in this narrative that Jesus' body was stolen. Now notice how the disciples handle it. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. We can't unsee, we can't unhear Jesus walking in a room after his crucifixion with us. We, we can't unsee and unhear Jesus on the shore. We can't unsee and unhear Jesus telling us what we needed to do, giving us our mission, and then ascending into heaven. We can't unsee that. We can't unhear that. See, the resurrection changed everything for them. They were not going to stay quiet. See, they feared God, 
who gave them life more than they feared the power players who could take their life. I'll say that again. They feared God who gave them life more than they feared the power players who could take their life. So it leaves me asking us this question. Why not us? Why not you? Why not me? Like I read a story like that and I I wish I was them, right? I'm blown away and I'm also inspired. Like, why not us? Peter and John and Stephen and Paul, man, we look at them as they did some amazing things and they did. But can I tell you that they have no advantage over us? They have no advantage over us. There's nothing special about them. They're people with struggles and sins just like us. However, God used them. And they were willing to be used by God. They were willing to be used by the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that moved them to courage, to boldness, and to faith. We're not the only ones to struggle with this understanding that these early church leaders had had no spiritual advantage over over us or others. It's the fact that God wanted them to be used. Normal people like you and me. And so Paul writes to a group of followers a lot like us. Then he writes this in Galatians 5. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And Paul's using this imagery that the audience would have been very familiar with, the Roman crucifixion. Everyone understood that if you were crucified, there is no coming back. The cross is death. And he's letting them know, look, if you belong to Christ, if you believe in his death and resurrection, you identify with his crucifixion as you put to death the passions and the desires of your sinful nature. The passions and desires of our sinful nature may not be like pure evil. It, it, some of these things are good. And some are bad. But regardless These are, whether they're good or bad, these are passions and desires that are keeping us from the best life, which is centered on Jesus. Guys, one day our sin nature is going to die, and we're going to receive our glorified bodies. So the war we know is won, but we still have battles before then. And this is how we win our battles. Since we are living by the Spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we learned In week one, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So not only is the Spirit in us, not only does the Spirit change us, but the Holy Spirit needs to lead us. If we're going to win, we need to have the Holy Spirit's leading. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. It means we need to be walking step in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, you know when you're walking step in step with the Holy Spirit, it's when you know that, man, I'm, I'm pulled in. I want to pray more than I want to watch TV. I, I, I have this big decision coming up, and instead of eating, I think I should just fast that meal and pray and, and, and seek God. That's when you know that you're walking step by step with the Holy Spirit. It's when you know that and you give in to his leading of tithing and giving to the church instead of using that money for something else. That's when you know that you're step by step with the Holy Spirit. Guys, there are three D's of walking step in step with the Holy Spirit. The first is destination. 
When the Holy Spirit is leading you to take a step, He's not leading you nowhere. He's leading you somewhere. It's because He has a destination in mind. And the destination for you and the destination for me is to become more like Christ. That's the destination. And your journey and your walk is going to be a lot different than mine. The the things that you're going to be fighting may be a lot different than mine. But at the end of the day, we still need to surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Guys, the desires and the passions produced by the Holy Spirit are better for us. They're not necessarily easier, but they're better. Sometimes the things that He wants you to do and the things that He wants me to do, they're painful. But that's part of growth. Growing is at times painful. I, I work out uh, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And because of the injuries that I experienced in football and baseball and wrestling, I'm just not able to get on a treadmill. It just hurts my knees. So we have an incumbent bike. And when I first got on the incumbent bike, there's like 10 levels. And so I was like, I'll just go halfway. I'll go five. I was about to die. I'm <laughs> being, of course, over the top. But it was difficult. It was hard. So I went down to a three. It was more manageable. And then after a couple weeks, I built what I needed to build, and I got to five. And then I tried seven. Well, I needed to go back to five for a couple more weeks and then get to seven. That's the thing with spiritual growth, guys. It takes time and effort. And the more effort, the more results. So it leads us to this next point. We need to be dedicated. We need to be dedicated. It takes commitment to surrender to the Holy Spirit's leading. And so he gives you and I gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts. These are things that we need to be dedicated to pursue and dedicated to use. And that's why we encourage everyone to be engaged in our church, whether we're connecting or serving or giving or inviting. By doing these things of engagement, we're pursuing and using these spiritual gifts because these spiritual gifts are for the common good of the church. And if it's for the common good of the church, it means it's going to be good for the community. Notice the list of gifts. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. You have words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, tongues, and interpretation. And these are the gifts that he gives you and I. I know some people who have the gift of discernment. They're able to discern whether things are right or wrong or this is the direction that you need to go. I've had people give me words of wisdom. They spoke something over me and said, I need you to think about this. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I feel like God is telling me to tell you this. And it's worked out. I'm glad that I listened to them. Um, when I was in college, Jenny and I were, were leading a nursing home ministry. And I felt led to, to fast. And so I fasted for about three days. I didn't eat anything. I drank a lot of water. I drank a lot of fluids. But I fasted for three days. And I believe that God wanted one of the women who were there, who she was much younger, to walk. And so she was in this wheelchair for many, many, many months, right? And she just wasn't improving like she, like they thought or she thought. And so I felt led to fast and pray, and I did for those three days. So Sunday comes, and 
we're there and we're doing the singing and then the, the teaching part. And then we had a time to pray. And I remember going over her and she asked if I could pray over that she would be able to walk. And I remember laying my hands on her and praying that Jesus would give her the ability to walk. Give her the ability to stand. Give her the ability to get out of her wheelchair. And guess what God did? He allowed her to stand up. It was a miracle. I believe a lot of it had to do with just trusting Jesus. It was saying no to food and, and just, just, God, I need you to do this. The other thing we need to be dedicated to is to put death, put to death the passions and desires that lead us away from a life that Jesus promised. There's some things that will make us happy that we need to say no to and say yes to things that will bring us and produce joy in our lives. Happiness and joy are two different things. He's about producing joy in our lives, not necessarily happiness. Happiness is very temporary. Destination, dedication, dependency. I need to depend on him. I, while I'm fighting these fights, I need to depend on him to fight for me, to fight on my behalf because he's strong. This also means that I might need to invite other people to pray along with me as I'm going through something. I need to de depend on him and his strength. So I had this question again. Why not us? Why not you? Why not me? And maybe a more personal question is, why are we afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are we afraid of following the Holy Spirit's leading in every area of our life? Why are we afraid of that? Why are you afraid of that? I believe there's a good chance that we don't want to let go of some of our passions and desires. I believe that there's a good chance that we're too comfortable and we just don't want to be uncomfortable. I believe that some of us want to experience God, but we've forgotten We've gotten too comfortable with easy. For others of us, man, we're complaining that we're not experiencing God. But how many of us would admit that we're living like we need Him? I mean, think about it. Why would we need the comforter if our lives are already comfortable? Like, why would we need the helper if we really don't need any help? Guys, when it comes down to it, we all have a next step, and it takes courage to take that next step. It comes down to choosing courage or choosing comfort. That's what it comes down to. Are, are we willing to choose comfort or are we willing to choose courage? Courage is going to stretch us. Courage is going to be taking a step of faith. Comfort doesn't do any of that stuff. There's a step maybe that you could take. Maybe, maybe a step for you is saying no and accepting help. Or maybe for you it's moving out or moving back in. Or it could be going to counseling. Or it could be seeking or giving forgiveness. It could be eliminating or reducing screen time. It could be reevaluating your kids' sports schedules. It could be giving. It could be serving. You know how we always end with a ghost story? A Holy Ghost story? I want to think of people. Think about people in your life who have been led by the Holy Spirit. What, what things have they been able to do? So it reminds me of the story of George Mueller. George Mueller was an English preacher in the, in the 1800s. 
and he started an orphanage. And orphans lived with the Mueller's until they received complaints from their neighbors. And so the Mueller's built five houses and throughout its history cared for 18,000 kids. One of the most well-known stories of the Mueller's faith involves a time when he trusted God to provide the orphans with breakfast one morning. Nothing was available for the children to eat, but Mueller prayed and led prayer with the kids. Later, a nearby baker brought bread after feeling like he needed to deliver bread. Then later, the milkman arrived asking if children could use fresh milk because his truck broke down nearby. George Mueller lived a life depending on the Holy Spirit's leading. Guys, I want you to be part of a ghost story, a holy ghost story. But you have to provide yourself an opportunity. You have to put yourself in that space and in that place. You have to put in the time. You have to spend time with the Holy Spirit. And so that's my challenge for us as we head into next week and the things we're going to be learning in our series, White Noise. Y'all, there are things fighting for our attention. There are things fighting for our soul. And we have God on our side. So why not depend and trust in Him? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn about you. I ask that you will help us to depend on the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to be dedicated with putting to death the things that are good or maybe they're bad and they're keeping us from something great. Father, I ask that you will allow us to do everything we can to put ourselves in and give ourselves an opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, for some of us, we need to take a next step. And I ask that you will give people the strength and the courage to trust you to take that next step, whatever it may be, no matter how hard it may seem. Help them to do it by your strength. Well, Father, for those who might be fighting to believe that Jesus is alive, I ask that you will soften their heart. I ask that they would be open and experiencing the greatest miracle of all, and that is going from spiritual death to spiritual life. In Jesus' name, amen.